What's going on, guys? It is Cody One with the Faith Growth Podcast, and I am with my co-host here, Matthew. What is up, homie? Nothing much. I'm blessed. God is great. That's right. God is great. Amen. Good word. Sweet. So we are on our second portion of this series um, on demonic church teachings. Um, Matthew brought up a great point a little bit ago and said, you know what? They might not know what you mean by demonic. So I don't mean like literally demons, like in the sense of like Satan with these horns attacking people in churches. I mean, beliefs that go against what scripture says that is considered demonic things that go against what the Bible teaches. So as always, if you wouldn't mind, if you could just smash that subscribe button, that would mean so much to us for the podcast algorithm. And today's topic is going to be on specifically Romans 10.9. And before you stone me or bounce off here, (laughs) I'm not saying that Romans 10.9 is demonic. So please hear me out with what I'm about to say. Romans 10.9 is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. It just gets taken out of context. Yes, it gets <laughs> brutally taken out of context constantly. So the part that is demonic about it is what is taken out of context by it. If you have been in the church for any more than three months, I am almost certain that you've heard this verse, which says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, that you will be saved. I know you're probably scratching your head even more going, Cody, that sounds pretty awesome. And I would agree. It sounds really (laughs) awesome. And it's really biblical too. So why do I have such beef with this teaching? Well, I have been in the church world my entire life. For you who do not know my testimony, if you're just new to joining us, I grew up in the church my entire life and I was addicted to porn from the time I was in fourth grade, watching porn daily, multiple times a day until I gave my life to Christ at 17. I had started a worship team of a church of about 600 people and I was the hot diggity dog. I thought I was the coolest thing out there and I was more self-righteous than probably anyone you've ever met. I'd never slept with a woman, drank or done drugs and I thought that was God's standard of goodness. Realized that I was extremely deceived when I started reading my Bible at 17 and I heard Jesus' words in Matthew 5, you've heard it of prophets of old, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever has looked upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And I realized I was so dead in my sins and I was no better than anybody else who had done quote unquote worse sins than me. So I bring all that up to say, I'm very familiar with this verse in Romans 10, 9 in the context in which it is used in churches. I want to make a clarification. As always, I am not saying that everybody or anybody who uses this first uses it out of context. I'm saying that I have heard it used hundreds of times out of context personally. So again, if you've ever used this verse in regards to talking to somebody about salvation, I'm not telling you you said anything wrong because I don't know the context in which you said it. But if you just said it out of context, there's a serious issue that God has with it. So that's why I have an issue with it. So with that, we're going to go into what is the concern about this scripture? Well, if you stuck with us on episode one of this series, you remembered me talking about how people do this concept of say this prayer. Well, you pray this prayer and you go to heaven. And as we talked, salvation doesn't come through works of the law, but it comes through grace, through faith. So you can't be saved by doing any works and no prayer of saying any sort of special amount of words will ever save you either. You're saved by grace through faith. And this scripture mentions grace through faith. It doesn't say those words specifically, but what it mentions in Romans 10, 9 is grace through faith. So again, what is my problem with it? Well, my problem is is people will preach a sermon on whatever. They'll preach a sermon on, let's say, angels and demons. And after they get done with it, they'll go, I want to give everybody to take a chance to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
Did you know that if scripture says that if you believe or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God rose him from the dead, that you'll be saved? Who wants to do that right now? Will you raise your hand? We're not going to embarrass you. Everyone close your eyes and bow your heads and, and, and we just raise your hand right now. Will you just put your hand up and then I'll, yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yep. I see, I see that hand. Okay. This is the issue I have with it. There was no context given to the prayer I just said. And what I just said is literally word for word what I've heard hundreds of times in my life. I've been to hundreds of different churches, many different denominations, and I've heard this across, almost across the board, not completely across the board, but almost across the board in different churches that I've been to. Have you heard it in right context from churches? Oh, absolutely. I've, okay. Yeah, there's plenty of great Bible teachers. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I, I don't believe that. There's tons of Bible teachers who preach this uh, verse extremely well. Although I am not a Calvinist or have necessarily reformed doctrine, uh, at least completely, I believe that they have this verse more correct than anybody else I've ever heard quoted in my life. Reformed people generally have some of the best doctrine out of anybody out there, simply because a lot of them read their Bible more than most of anybody else out there. Again, I'm not throwing any shade to any other denomination. I'm not saying that no Presbyterians read their Bible. I'm not saying that, which, I mean, generally they have Reformed doctrine. I'm not saying that any anybody who's charismatic doesn't have Reformed doctrine, or, or good doctrine, excuse me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that consistently speaking, I hear it more in Reformed churches than any other denominations. So with that being said, let's get some context for in which verse 9 is said here. In verse 1 of Romans 10, Paul says, For my desire for you, brethren, is for your salvation. If we look at where Romans 10 is in context of the rest of the book, there's 16 chapters in the book, and it's right smack dab in the middle almost of the entire book. And Paul makes this claim, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God is for your salvation. I testify that you have a zeal of God, but it is not whoa, whoa, in accordance whoa. to knowledge. What's a zeal? Zeal is passion. Extreme passion, just like... It is just uh, having this... You're on fire. On you're on fire. You're you're passionate. You're zealous for something. Okay. But it is not in accordance to knowledge. Meaning that they're excited, but they don't have anything to back their excitement up with. So they're kind of like ignorant? Extremely ignorant. Yeah. They're swinging in the wind. And then later on, it says, if you believe in your mouth and confess with your mouth... Or excuse me. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. And then it goes on in verse 10, remember in context, to say, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. The belief that you have in your heart that is mentioned in verse 9 results in righteousness. If it's not resulting in righteousness, it's proving that you were never actually believing in your heart in the first place. Hmm. Righteousness means perfect right standing with God that you look as Jesus has called you to look. That's righteousness, perfection, holiness. That's what righteousness is. Knowing the difference between right and wrong and always choosing right, that's righteousness. That is what happens when somebody gives their life to Jesus. When they believe in their heart, it results in righteousness. So when I'm hearing all these people say that I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, and they're living just like the rest of the world is, they're getting trashed on the weekend, sleeping with their boyfriend and girlfriends with no reverence, and they're doing all of these awful things, it's showing me they actually don't believe in their heart because it's not resulting in righteousness. Notice in verse 10, it doesn't say for they believe in their heart, and it can result in righteousness. Or it doesn't even say, and it should result in righteousness. It says it does result in righteousness. If you believe it does result in righteousness, there's no other option. Belief equals righteousness. But we're still humans. 
we're still humans and we will still fall short of the glory of God. You'll still mess up. You will sin till the day that you die. You are a human being, but there's a difference between tripping and falling into a pool and diving headfirst into it. If you say, you know, Cody, I'm struggling with a sin and I hate that I do it and I beg that God will forgive me and I just feel so devastated with the fact that I hurt God, then yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that you're going to spend eternity in hell because of you falling short. We all fall short. But if you're having with zero reference, zero fear of the Lord, and you're just going, ah, I, I, who cares? I'm going to keep sleeping with my girlfriend. Like, she's hot and it's fun. Just habitually sin. Yeah, if you're doing that right there, no reverence for the Lord, then that's what is in reference to not actually believing. Jesus pushes more on this topic in John 3.30 where he says, if you believe, um, then you will go to heaven. I'm paraphrasing. He says, if you believe, you'll go to heaven. But those who do not obey, the wrath of God abides on them. He says, if you do not believe, or if you believe, you will go to heaven. But if you do not obey, the wrath of God abides on you. He says, believe the first time and obey the second time. You know why? Because belief is obedience. If you believe, you will obey. There's no other way around. You cannot believe and just not obey anything that God says. And obeying is doing that walk the walk. Yes. Picking up your cross daily. Exactly. It is doing as Jesus has commanded us to do in the gospels and the epistles. So back to verse 10 here. It says, and with your mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, he who believes in the Lord will not be disappointed. So let me give you a little more context about 2,000 years ago, what Roman culture looked like. You hear, oh, well, I'll confess with my mouth. Hey, guys in church, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Oh, well, that's nice and dandy. Me too. (laughs) Um, But the issue with that is it is not even close to the same thing that we see in Roman culture back then. And here's why. You hear a lot about people talking about baptism as well. Baptism is going to be another one of the topics that we will hit in this demonic church teachings series. Um, So you'll want to stay tuned for that because I think that you guys will completely not expect what I'm going to say in reference to that. But in regards to confession with your mouth, again, in America where I live, if I confess that Jesus is Lord with my mouth to Matthew, my brother in Christ right next to me, There is no pressure on me. There's no fear. There's no uh, danger of condemnation from him or conviction. Nothing but support and love. But 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. Oh, well, I'll step back again. If I go up to an atheist right now and say, hey, I believe that Jesus is Lord. The worst thing that's going to happen to him, at least the worst thing that has happened to me to date, is somebody swung at me. They tried to punch me in the face. They missed, but they tried to punch me in the face. That is the absolute worst thing that has happened to me in my Christian walk to date. Um, and that wasn't even by an atheist. That was just by an angry Christian, actually. Um, but but n- not once has... The worst an atheist has done to me is scream at me. I can deal with a couple of people screaming at me. That's not a big deal. But, you know, mind you, I talk to atheists every single day of my life. And the worst thing that's ever happened is that. So why would I not profess Jesus as Lord? If the worst thing that happens to me is somebody sometimes gets a little angry at me, it's like, yes, it's persecution, but is it really that much persecution? Like if we're comparing me to Jesus's nailing to a cross, it's not even comparable, right? Well, if we look 2,000 years ago and Roman culture where Caesar is king, and Caesar calls the shots, and they all follow under Caesar. Mind you, Roman Empire, the biggest empire to ever exist on the face of the earth. And in the midst of this, Jesus was referenced as King Jesus. 
He's referenced as a king. If you don't believe me, you can check out, out in Acts 17. Uh, he's referenced as a king there. Um, when Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate and uh, John 18, he is considered the king of the Jews in multiple other places in scripture. So here was the big deal about that. You know, we all sing all these songs, all hail King Jesus, and Jesus is the king of all the earth. And, you know, again, it's really hard. It gets really washed up in churchy terms and in culture because that doesn't mean much to us. Most of us don't live under a king. And if we do, that king doesn't have this full dictatorship most of the times for most of you listening. In Jesus's time, Caesar reigned fully. Caesar called the shots and whatever he said went. When Jesus is calling himself king in front of that is spitting in the face of the Roman Empire severely. Not to mention the Roman Empire's, um, their, their military was second to none, especially at the time. I mean, no one could beat the Roman military. So, like, in their culture, and they were very, very oppressive, too. Like, like Roman culture did what they want, and if you weren't Roman, you were, like, completely ostracized. So, when they were worshiping a different king, King Jesus, they practically put on this t-shirt every day that said, I'm asking you to murder me. That's pretty much what they did when they said that they were not going to bow to Caesar, but they were bowing to King Jesus. It's the same representation that we see in the Old Testament and Daniel when we see um, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego that they won't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol, but rather they said that we will only bow to one person, and that is Yahweh, which is God, Yahweh. They would only bow to Yahweh. And, and they say, well, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, dudes, if you aren't going to bow to my statue, then I'm going to have to throw you in the fiery furnace, right? You guys know the story, most of you. And they say, you know what? They said, my God will save me from this fire, no. but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow to your gods. I mean, if that does not amp you up, yeah. I don't know what will. That makes me yeah. so amped up. And that's the exact same thing that they said in the book of Acts. That's the same thing that Jesus said. He said, hey, whether it is right in your eyes, this is Acts 4, it says, whether it is right in your eyes or not for me to speak in the name of Jesus, you be the judge. But he says, I cannot but speak that which I have seen and heard. Peter standing before the courts who are about to take him into prison because he won't stop speaking the name of Jesus. He says, I cannot but speak that which I've seen and heard. What does that mean in today's time terms? It means put me in jail. I'm going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. No matter what, I'm preaching. No, no matter what. So when you said that you would confess Jesus with your mouth, that was you saying, I am reigning, or there's a different king that reigns, and his name is not Caesar. His name is Christ Jesus, and I am not bowing down to your king. When that happened, the Roman culture got infuriated with them and said, fine, if you want to play that game, then we're going to only be able to prove our points to you that you need to change one way. It really gives perspective. And nowadays, like people are like, well, I'm scared to preach to people about God. And I'm like, now it's like, thank 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, when's the last time you ever feared for your life because yeah. of you preaching the gospel? The worst that gets happened is you get mocked and ostracized most of the time. Very rarely is anything bad going to happen. Back then, they literally feared death on a daily basis because the Roman Empire was slaughtering Christians constantly, guys. That is the whole concept that we get of a martyr, martyrdom. Eleven of the 12 early, uh, or 12 apostles were murdered for their beliefs. Jesus murdered for his beliefs. Plenty of people in the early church. You can look it up in the book of martyrs or any of those books like that constantly getting murdered for their beliefs. There are people right now as we speak in the church in Iran being murdered for their beliefs. There are people being tortured in Russia and China currently for their beliefs in Jesus Christ. We are so jaded as people in first world countries that we don't even have to 
partially have concerns over this thing, these kinds of things because we have it so well off. Because religion is so normal in our cultures, we take it for granted. When they said back then, do you realize that you need to confess Jesus with your mouth? They all understood in context, I am saying that I am signing my death warrant. So let me put it into perspective for you in 2020 terms. Hey guys, so I just preached my sermon on angels and demons, but there's really one thing that God's really laying on my heart right now, and I want to want to run it by you guys. So um, you guys have all heard of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So Jesus literally gave his life up for what he believed. Jesus tells us if we don't deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily, we can't be his disciple. For whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world yet loses his soul? If you guys are willing to literally give your lives up and follow Jesus the rest of your days, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. You're going to have to suffer mass persecution for this thing, but you're going to be so thankful that you spend eternity and get a crown one day in heaven. Who, who's willing to do that right now? Who's willing to say, I could literally lose my life on the mission field to be homeless and jobless for the rest of my life, but it's for the glory of God. Would anyone raise their hand right now? We're not going to close our eyes because just as if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father in heaven. Will anyone just raise their hand and say, I'm going to proclaim Christ's name till the day I die. Will someone do that right now? That is a biblical example of what we see in Romans 10, 9. That's what it actually looks like. Amen. That sounds a lot different though, doesn't it? So again, what am I saying? Am I saying that you're not allowed to use verse Romans 10, 9? No, absolutely not, guys. My purpose is if you want to use the verse, remember that the Bible was not written in verses and chapters. You know, when, when, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he didn't say, Romans in big letters and little letters signed by Paul. And then big one, little one. Yeah. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's not how that went. Um, you know, he, he just wrote a letter to a church. He was writing a letter to a group of people and explaining to them how they're supposed to live like Jesus has called them to. So it's really important that we never take a singular verse out of context because this is where we get a lot of these demonic church teachings that we're referring to in this um, series. So with that being said, do not get confused when reading or when you hear somebody quote a scripture by just reading it out of context. You need to understand the context of what is said in its cultural times. So there's three things that I do whenever I read the Bible to make sure that I don't fall into this trap. First off, I don't do a read a verse a day thing. If I ask you if you read your Bible daily, which I ask many, many people, and you tell me yes, and you're referring to reading the verse of the day every day, you do not read your Bible every day. You read a verse every day. Imagine if, you know, somebody asked you, if, if your teacher said, hey, you know, you need to do homework today uh, for math and you come back and you say, yeah, so teacher, I, I looked at the first problem on, on the homework sheet, so, so we're good to go. And she goes, uh, there are 20 questions and you're supposed to do all the questions. And you're like, no, 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 no I, I looked at one of the verses today. They're going to be like, that's not what I asked you to do. In the same way, Jesus has not asked us to read the verse of the day. He's asked us to rightly divide the word of God is what scripture says, to fully study the Bible. You've probably heard the cliche before, we don't read the Bible, we study it. And that's, that's true. You're not supposed to read it. You're supposed to study it. You're supposed to become what the word of God has called you to become. So there's three points that I always answer when reading. Um, I didn't come up with this myself. You can look it up right now. It's called the inductive study method. And it has three points. It says, what does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply to my life? What does it say is pretty straightforward. What is the text actually saying? What does it mean? That is where we get the cultural uh, context and relevancy. And then the last part is 
Um, how does it apply to my life? If you can't relate whatever you're reading 2,000 years past to your 2020 life today, then you've got a huge, huge issue on your hands. That last part is a crucial part that I believe that the church predominantly misses today. I see Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, and he asks for living water. Awesome. What does that have to do with me? I don't talk to very many Samaritans today, so is it irrelevant? Of mean, course it's not irrelevant. What do you mean Samaritan? Samaritan is um, the lady that Jesus was speaking to at the woman at the well. A Samaritan would be the same as me saying today the context of somebody being a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, somebody who claims the name of Christ but is part of a cultish religion. That's what a Samaritan was back in their day. That's how they were seen, at least. So that is what a Samaritan was. But understanding context, again, that is what does it mean? That would fall under the what does it mean category. And then how does it apply to my life? What does that whole woman at the well story have to do with me today in 2020 as I have a job, as I have a girlfriend, as I have school that I'm going to on a daily basis? How does it apply? Because I assure you that it does apply. So it's crucial that you understand the answer to all three of those questions in your reading. If you can't answer all three questions after your reading, then you have really failed in the reading that you're supposed to do for that day. So it's, again, very, very important that you make sure that you um, do all those things. And if you do that, you will never have this problem like we have with Romans 10, 9 today in regards to taking verses out of context. And if you just read only just a verse, you're just not even doing the first step, which eliminates. Yes. You're not doing the second step. You're not doing the third step, which exactly. especially the third step being crucial to our lives. So Exactly. And again, we have to beg the question, why do people do it then, Cody? Okay, so, so I get that we shouldn't do it. So why are so many people doing it? The reason so many people are doing it is the same as the last um, podcast is because it's easier that way. You're going to get more hands to go up at the ends of service. And it's not as fun as telling somebody, or it's, it's, it's more fun than telling somebody that they need to deny themselves and pick up their cross daily. You're probably saying, well, Cody, isn't that going to lose people? 100% it's going to lose people. You think just it lose people? Gains, gains souls. The salvations that are actually there are going to be real salvations instead of you having these false converts that are mentioned in the parable in the sower and seed in Matthew 13 that hear the word, accept the word, and then bounce out later because they didn't understand what they'd actually given their lives to. We want people to have real, true genuine salvations and the way that we do that is by preaching the full counsel of god thank you guys so much for sticking with us this is the faith growth podcast this is episode two of our series demonic church teachings please stick around with us for next week so if you could not mind please smash that subscribe button if you didn't do it the rate first time I asked you to. Rate us five stars out of five. I don't know how many stars. Yeah, there's five, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, rate us five stars out of five unless we're not worth five stars and then give us not so many stars. But if you could give us some amount of stars, it would be much appreciated um, for the podcast algorithm. We thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We love you dearly. Again, hopefully none of this comes off as condemning, but we just want to give you guys more information on how you can look and speak as Christ has called you to. We will see you guys in a few days.